When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, my partner in crime, Mr. Parker Ainsworth. Welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues, Mr. Ainsworth. How are you doing on this fine Sunday? Almost afternoon, sir. <laughs> Almost afternoon. Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. We had our first full week of kids in person last week. And, ooh, man, was that tiring. You know, doing this whole online teaching while in-person teaching, while doing, like, so many other, like, monitoring and policing of distances. and It's a lot. It's a lot. It was a tiring, tiring week. How about yourself, Mr. Cummings? Yeah, I've been experiencing that. We've been in person since August. So I've been experiencing that as well. Uh, I don't think that folks understand how difficult it is to do both in-person and remote concurrently. I can do one or the other really well. And then when you do it concurrently, the thing that teachers are fearful of, because we're all kind of perfectionists at heart, is a ball dropping somewhere there. So it's it's definitely difficult. I will say, though, I'm feeling great because... I am the defensive coordinator for a high school football team that is 2-0 and after a, <laughs> a big blowout win on Friday. And so we're going into uh, this week looking forward to trying to keep that O, and we'll see what happens there. Mr. Ainsworth, how about we jump into our gold stars and detentions? What gold stars do you have for us, sir? Um, I am gold starring this issue, although some people might detention it depending on what your theory on smack talk is. Uh, I'm giving a gold star to Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum for their uh, we'll call it creative and clever tweeting after the LA Clippers were eliminated. The LA Clippers were up 3-1 to one on the Denver Nuggets. They blew that lead for the second consecutive 3-1 comeback for the Denver Nuggets this postseason. But if you remember from earlier in the bubble, the Clippers and Trailblazers had had some words exchanged where they were trying to argue that Dame Lillard was somehow not clutch. Never mind that he has two different series-ending buzzer beaters or, or whatever, right? They were trying to argue that there was some problem with Dame Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. I believe the quote that I threw in there was, you guys can just all meet at Beaches and Cream and figure this out. <laughs> right. And so we, we gave out detentions for just talking on social media because they can go C 
see each other, right, at Beaches and Cream. <laughs> and the funny thing now is that Dame and CJ are home. They did play the Lakers in the first round. They did get sent home. But they're still chirping back, like, oh, how are you guys doing? Guess we should have gotten an extra boat, extra hotel room at Cancun for you and whatnot. Um, and something about wine. And it was a funny, <laughs> funny back and forth. So gold star to CJ and Dame for being clever. Those are two smart guys for being clever and very timely in their tweets. When you are Paul George, you need to stay away from all that stuff, too, because you are not clutch enough to be in a conversation with Dame Willard about winning and losing playoff series. That being said, my first gold star is going to go to the University of Miami running back, Jalen Knighton. And Jalen Knighton, if you did not watch the game yesterday, Miami played Louisville. It was the marquee college football game. I believe that Miami's ranked 17th and Louisville's ranked 18th, although Louisville will not be ranked 18th going into next week because they got manhandled at home by the University of Miami. I literally watched the game park and there were a couple of plays where Louisville scores, Miami breaks one play 75 yards, goes into the end zone. Louisville punts, Miami breaks one play 70 yards, goes into the end zone. Louisville's defense is like Swiss cheese. And Jalen Knighton scores this touchdown and he does the L's down, which for all of us Kentucky alumni and University of Kentucky fans, we definitely appreciate. I know that Louisville people hate it, but we love it. It's basically like horns down if you want to get into uh, the level yeah, of respect, yeah. which I know is something you can relate to. <laughs> Uh, what's your next gold star, Mr. Ainsworth? Um, also in the Nuggets Clippers series, uh, I guess tangentially to the Nuggets Clippers series, I'm going to give a gold star to Jeremy Grant. Um, if you remember earlier in the bubble, Jeremy was one of a handful of players I gave a gold star to for using their like entire media availability to talk about social justice issues. Within moments of like, he still, he put on his like warm-up shirt after walking off of the floor, but in, within moments of walking off the floor after completing a 3-1 comeback and playing pretty well and effectively in that comeback, Jeremy Grant again spends his entire time addressing uh, the, the Breonna Taylor issues that have been going on there after the settlement had been published and so the civil suit had been settled, but he talked about how he's happy for her family but doesn't bring her back. Uh, there's a lot of other families still needing justice and, you know, hoping that we can continue to move forward on these things and he just was very poignant and calm and collected and I gotta be honest, I think most dudes after celebrating another 3-1 comeback against a Vegas favorite would probably be more likely to be popping champagne or doing something like to celebrate a big win. Shout out to Jeremy Grant, Gold Star, for using the platform because that's what we said this bubble thing needs to be for, right, is using the platform you've been afforded. Absolutely. Tangentially related, there's a UFC fighter by the name of Tyron Woodley who's about to fight a guy, um, Colby Covington, and he's about to, they're about to scrap. And uh, for his media availability, he answered every question with Black Lives Matter, which I thought was really cool as well. And it's like, you could be pubbing the fight, but he's using that platform as well, tangentially related. So kind of a gold star to Tyron Woodley, but that was not my gold star. My actual gold <laughs> star goes to uh, Maria Taylor, who had to deal with some uh, shade that was being thrown her way by one Doug Gottlieb. And I believe that Mr. Ainsworth, that uh, we could probably hook up your first detention <laughs> with this particular story so if you want to tell us who you're going to give that first detention to we'll go ahead and pick yeah, it back off well, of each other well i am going to detention doug gottlieb because he had the audacity to call out maria taylor by name because so i guess the story goes that maria taylor left anthony davis off of her all nba ballot all three um, teams she, by the way so all three teams she's very publicly been like honestly i just forgot and i think when you're filling out all of these voting things it's simple to think that oh i must have put him there i must have put him there whatever and just forget I, I don't think it's quite as flippant as some people say, oh, so you just went through the pen and just wrote. I don't think it's quite like that. Um, but Doug Gottlieb had the audacity to say that she shouldn't be doing this because she works for ESPN and does all these other things besides just basketball. Doug Gottlieb has his own, you know, interesting career with college basketball, including getting tossed out of Notre Dame for 
stealing a classmate's credit card. For whatever reason, he thinks he has some authority to be you know, the, the the morality police or the, the justice police or whatever for Anthony Davis. But I sure certainly wouldn't charge anything to Gottlieb because I wouldn't know where, where I was getting charged to. I, I think that the deal there is more that I don't understand why Maria Taylor is the person we're going after. There were lots of ballots that you know, as LeBron pointed out in a, an interview yesterday, I guess he only got 16 yeah. first place votes for MVP. Right. Well, but I think more so the issue is like there are plenty of ballots that had like Luca as top four for MVP, but on third team All NBA, or had people for like top five and defense player of the year voting, but not in the first team All Defense. Or I mean, like Patrick that- Beverly was voted Defensive Player of the Year by someone on their ballot, and I'm like, what ballot is that? Like, who's voting for him number one? Well, like, did you watch and- the NBA this year? It's not that Patrick you know- Beverly's not bad. I mean, he's 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 pretty good. You know, big Rockets homer, but people had actually gave Westbrook and Harden first team and second team all defensive votes, and honestly, Over like PJ Tucker, like what right? We- well, well, <laughs> and PJ Tucker got a few. That my my real dip, deal, I say, is as much as they're improved on defense, they're nowhere near that. Like there there are plenty of other bad voters, I guess, that Gottlieb could have attacked, but he very clearly attacked someone specifically. And there's some implicit biases there as to why do you think Maria Taylor shouldn't be voting? And I'm happy that Maria Taylor just clapped back at him like listen because i put in the work that's why i get the vote like (laughs) i do the job well and people obviously note that i do the job well and that's why i get to vote so don't hate just congratulate there's nothing wrong with that like i don't understand doug gottlieb's deal but whatever he tends to write checks that his butt can't cash and then he steals other people's credit cards in order to charge (laughs) it so that's who doug gottlieb is since you jumped in with your first detention mr ainsworth i'm gonna go ahead and jump in with mine i'm going to detention one adam gase who is the head coach of the New York Jets. Adam Gase has had two head coaching jobs in the NFL. His first was with the Miami Dolphins, where he was god-awful. And based on that god-awful performance, the New York Jets decided to make him their head coach, which makes no sense to me. (laughs) So the Jets, ever since they've had hired Adam Gase, have also been god-awful. And that's not to say that the Jets couldn't be bad without Adam Gase. Of course, the Jets have been bad the majority of their existence, and Adam Gase hasn't been their head coach. And when you look at this league, and you see a guy like Eric Bieniemy still as an offensive coordinator, you just wonder, why does that guy get two bites at the apple, and Eric Bieniemy hasn't gotten a bite yet? And everyone can look at the situation. They can judge it however they want to judge it. I know that Adam Gase at one time worked with Peyton Manning, and Peyton Manning has put a stamp on Adam Gase. What I will say is that just because Peyton Manning stamps you doesn't mean you have NFL success, because there have been other guys who Peyton Manning has stamped. They've gotten uh, promotions, whether it's to the offensive coordinator position, whether it's to a head coaching position, that have also stunk, because the reality is If you work with Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning is the offensive coordinator. It doesn't matter what your (laughs) title is. Peyton Manning runs the offense. He calls all the plays. He calls all the protections. He does all the audibling. And you get a title. And, you know, I've heard this a lot on ESPN that Peyton Manning's put a lot of people's kids through private school. And (laughs) as I look at Adam Gase, it's like, yeah, obviously that was a Peyton Manning situation and not an Adam Gase is a genius situation based on now multiple bites at the head coaching apple adam gates doesn't know how to deal with players his strategy is not great i have no idea what the uh what the institutional kind of plan is for the jets because they actually fired the gm who hired adam gates so now they have a new guy there so i'm i'm not sure what the jets are doing it doesn't seem like you'd want to tank for trevor considering that you just drafted sam darno but these are the jets this is what they do the jets are awful let me just tell you how frustrating it is to grow up rooting for the jets because it's one thing if you got to see Joe Namath, and at least you have that to hang your hat on. <laughs> I don't have that. 
All I have, I have them choking a lead away when they had the AFC title game one against Denver back in the late 90s. I have butt fumbles. Like, this is my existence. One day, I will tell the story of the Jets not drafting Warren Sapp because it's totally worth it. But in order to cut down on my rant, there's already made go starts of detention too long. I will stop. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, do you have any further detention, sir? Yeah, mine goes to, I don't really know what to call the crowd, but there's a crowd of fans out there that seem to chant this go woke, go broke mentality whenever they see sports doing social justice. And they seem to find certain numbers to always be like, oh, see, go woke, go broke. So they'll cite like the fact that Kaepernick hasn't worked in four years and be like, go woke, go broke. And they'll cite that like the, you know, overnight cable ratings of the NFL opening night game, Chiefs Texans was were low and they'll say go woke go broke like because they had the unity moment beforehand or the nba playoff bubble numbers because they have black lives matter on the court and they'll say go woke go broke the numbers are down and study after study is pulling up and i just want to you know talk about one that uh benjamin Allwright, albright an nfl writer pointed out this week that that's just factually inaccurate it's just based on old technology um you know like with kaepernick's thing in particular like he had another collaboration with nike this week pushed and it sold out within literally seconds uh, he, he was selling yeah someone black... who tried to buy that darn jersey is sold out within seconds <laughs> he was trying it was an all black kaepernick seven jersey sold out within seconds he said two or three different sneakers sell out within seconds you know again proceeds mostly like, obviously he runs the know your rights campaign but proceeds going to know your rights campaign so it's not like it's some money grab for nike or whatever he also albright points out that the boycott the nfl go woke go broke crowd is only paying attention to the cable numbers because after it streaming numbers take a little bit longer to come in because there's so many different streaming services but streaming numbers in the nfl when added in with the cable numbers make it the most watched opening weekend in football ever. (laughs) merchandise sales on the nfl shop and fanatics.com are both up the ads are ad revenue is high because it's the most expensive ads have ever been the NBA playoff numbers, again, factoring for the streaming numbers that take a little bit longer to gather, are also up. And the pre-playoff bubble seeding games, the numbers are, re- are not reflective of the fact that, like, a lot of those games are, like, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, those are not the same. <laughs> those are not the same kind of primetime viewership hours. You're comparing that to more like a soap opera, and they blow soap operas out of the water. And so I I just, I don't, I don't think that that crowd fully understands what they're doing. I also think that it's just this effort to try and be like, bruh, don't be human, just be a sports figure, bruh. And it's like, that's not who these people are. That They're, they're clearly people with opinions, and they're expressing them. Anyway, they're, they're focused on very specific numbers that fit their narrative as a opposed to what's actually happening as people are only watching more it's 2020 through different means if going woke made you go broke trust me companies would not be going woke like seriously nike doesn't (laughs) nike doesn't have to nike has shareholders and stuff like they actually have people who they're accountable to so you know if you want to talk about the nba and the nfl again everyone gets to have their perspective you're entitled to said perspective it'd be awesome though if you actually knew what the hell you were talking about Uh, my final detention is going to go to it's just going to go to the whole situation with justin verlander it doesn't go to verlander it doesn't go to the astros it just goes to 2020 and life at this point justin verlander will need tommy john surgery so obviously he's going to be done for this year he's going to be done for next year he's 37 years old and so if the last time we got to see him pitch was in july then that just kind of stinks because he's an all-time great he's got Cy young awards he's got world series rings he's an all-time great in this era one of the best pitchers to do it uh in his time playing and so for him to go out on Tommy John at 37 years old in 2020 it just feels like man that's not the poetic justice that a Hall of Fame pitcher who's one of the best of his era 
really deserves. You know, you can only feel so bad for a guy who goes home to Kate Upton. That being said, I still feel bad <laughs> for the whole situation uh, with Justin Verlander. I don't feel bad for the Astros because I've already asterisked the hell out of them, but I do feel bad for Verlander in particular. Um, so it kind of sucks. As we progress forward from our gold stars of detentions, we're going to talk a little bit about the Big Ten and the decision to play football and ask the question if the Big Ten should be allowed to be in the college football playoff. We're going to ask if week one in the NFL and Tom Brady's performance versus New England's performance actually signifies a lot more than we might want to give it credit for considering that it's one week in. And then we'll end with a little conversation about the most iconic uniforms in all of sports. Without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Mr. Cummings. The first thesis this week takes a look at college football and light the recent news the Big Ten is going to try and make their efforts for a season of some sort. The thesis reads, the Big Ten should not be allowed to partake in the college football playoff. What do you think? I'm probably going to go really low. Like, I almost want to fail it. Like, just go ahead and fail that. The Big Ten should be able to be in the playoff. I don't know what caveat I want to give. So I'm thinking like D minus just to not fail it, but... It's low, 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 low. What are you thinking, Mr. Ainsworth? I'm thinking like C minus, but I'm also pretty low on it. Yeah, I, I might give it a C minus. I could see why someone would argue it if certain things broke certain ways, but that's really all I would say. All right, Mr. Cummings, so you really, really hesitated and get, went with a D minus. Mostly it seems like you didn't want to quite fail it. So, what was your hesitation? The only piece that I hesitate on is this idea of eight or nine games. Um, They're going to play eight regular season games, and then they got this ninth game, which I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. And so, when everyone else is playing more games, it feels like, oh man, maybe we should really consider. And so, then there's a part of me that's like, can I not tell if they're good in eight games? Of course I can tell if they're good. If you play 10 and I play eight, I can still tell if this team is good versus that team, especially because it's in the Big Ten. My eight Big Ten games are worth more than Clemson's 10 ACC games, right? Like it should be because Clemson in the ACC doesn't play as tough a schedule or Notre Dame's ACC games or North Carolina's ACC games. We just saw Georgia Tech play Florida State and beat them, then play Central Florida and get blown out by 28. They gave up 21 consecutive points in the fourth quarter. So there's a part of me that's like, well, some of these conferences are going to be playing more games. And then there's like the reality that the Big Ten is actually good. So the real question there shouldn't be the amount of games. It's just a matter of who you play. Obviously, if you're playing eight Big Ten games, you can't play everybody. So that's the tough piece. But the Big Ten never played everybody anyway. It's like the SEC. You got this, you know, you play the folks who are in your division and then you rotate through the folks that are on the other side of the of the ledger in terms of the conference. So that's the caveat for me. But as I thought that caveat through, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I could fail it, but I'm going to go ahead and give it a D minus just because there's probably a logical argument in there that I haven't thought of. What I will say is that the big 10 based on everything that I've read was coming into this season. If 2020 wasn't as crazy and as chaotic as it was, the big 10 was coming in with a bunch of teams that were pretty good. The guy who I always kind of go to for my college football stuff is Phil Steele. And Phil still has eight Big Ten teams in his top 40. So obviously there's a lot of good teams, including a couple of them that are in the top 10 that are really good in terms of Penn State and Ohio State. 
And so if those teams look the part, they should be in the playoff. Like what I, I guess what I wouldn't want to see is two SEC teams when one of them's undefeated and one of them has one loss over an undefeated Big Ten team because the Big Ten played eight. Like I don't want to see that. So that's, I mean, that's what it really comes down to for me. Um, we can definitely elaborate on all those pieces a little bit further, but I am curious about your perspective, Mr. Ainsworth, because you went C-minus. You went a little bit higher, but I get the sense that you're hesitant as well. Yeah, I think so. Mine stems from a couple different things, but I think they're actually fairly on the same page, is that like I don't know that I give that I give Clemson benefit of the doubt after beating a Wake Forest team, or that I give or they beat the Citadel, they beat the breaks off them yesterday, or Texas beat UTEP, or OU beat Missouri State, or or these like th- these like you know warm up cupcake games that a lot of these universities take, and that's I don't really factor those into my college football playoff predictions anyway. As as we wind down to the end of the year, and we're trying to say like who should be in, who should be out. I generally don't look at those games anyway, and those are the games that it looks like the Big Ten is skipping, right? Because they're going to play each other, and they're not going to get to play like Northern Illinois State Tech you know, whatever, Division Three, whatever. <laughs> like, they're not going to get to play those schools. And so while they don't get that warm-up, it, that actually to me makes their season more difficult because you don't get to like, they don't get those kinds of warm-ups. They just jump right into playing conference games. And as you alluded to, they have a lot of good teams in that conference. And the AP poll before the season started, when the Big Ten teams were in, there were, what, six teams as I look at this in the big from the Big Ten in the top 25? That's more than a fifth of the, of the thing. And I, you could say that that makes sense because they're from a Power 5 conference. Conference, but we both know that Power Five conferences do not get equal share of this top twenty-five, and and there's a couple teams in here from the American Conference. So, like, anyway, I would just say that I think they have a strong conference. And jumping right into conference games be difficult. There's also a weird moral piece to this to me that I don't know that I'm ready to say. Well, you wanted to make sure things are going to be safe, and so we're going to punish you by taking you out of the college football playoff. I don't like that look either out of the NCAA. It's not the only look the NCAA has had that I don't like, but I don't like that look either. <laughs> now the NCAA full of looks that we don't really enjoy and we talked about those thoroughly throughout the podcast what i guess when i look at the big 10 i'm looking at some of these individual teams that i think will have really good seasons and i'm like i don't know how you have a playoff without them first of all they're the brands right you can't have if ohio state is good how do you have a college football playoff without them if michigan is good how do you have a college football playoff without them like there's some of the highest grossing revenue teams in the country penn state is good you can't have the college football playoff without them right and so then you start looking at again some of these teams that a guy like Phil Steele gets this right more than he gets this wrong in terms of which teams he believes are going to be good. You start looking at a team like Northwestern that could come from out of nowhere, right? And if they come from out of nowhere, it'd be exciting to have that new entrant into the college football playoffs, especially in a year like 2020, where heck, we need to just look at everything that we're doing anyway, and this is the year to try some stuff, right? Uh, a team like Iowa, who's a, you know, they're a team from yesteryear that's had some success. They could absolutely have a good season this year. Minnesota, they were darlings last year. What are they going right. to do this year, right? So you just, I, I would hate for the playoff to just say, hey, we're just leaving the Big Ten out, blanket, that's what we're doing. Like, that to me doesn't make a lot of sense. The reality is that one of the Power Five, they are going to play this season. They're not, I mean, I get that there's a difference between eight and ten. I mean, I haven't taught a ton of math, but I taught enough math that I know that there's something different there. <laughs> that being said, their eight is worth 
again, what the ACC is putting out there, especially when you take into account exactly what you said, Mr. Ainsworth. If you got a cupcake game in there, then let's toss that one. Because trust me, Ohio State could beat the brakes off the Citadel as well. So now, without that cupcake game, they just have eight conference games, and they have this ninth game as well. Let me just say, I love this structure. I don't know why every conference doesn't kind of do this. If you have enough teams that have the conference championship game, could you not conceivably create a structure where during that week, You essentially play the team from the other side of the conference that's ranked where you are on your side of the conference. So why couldn't the SEC replicate this? Like, I love that idea. So what the Big Ten is doing, they're taking the two uh, divisions within their conference. And the ninth week, the two number one teams will play each other. The two number two teams will play each other. The two number three teams will play each other. So on and so forth through the conference in order to create a ninth game and to allow those teams to get that ninth game on their schedule in terms of their record. I think that's a brilliant idea. It's basically a de facto conference championship game in a year where it's going to be very difficult to justify conference championship games, right? Because one's going to play one. So I love that concept. I would love to see something like that carried forward. I love the ingenuity that comes from something like that uh so to me okay if we're gonna get eight games in then we gotta play now i've already made the argument for the value of the big tens eight games so i'm moving past that argument and i'm gonna jump to the one argument where i think you could potentially have some merit which is what happens when covid hits a team and they end up not playing eight games what happens when you know Michigan State so gets that, knocked out. That actually kind of plays into what I was looking at for why they should be in, though, because while you're pointing out COVID could hit a Big Ten team, COVID could also hit any of these other teams, right? We've talked about like Oklahoma won't disclose their numbers and Pat Riley and this and the other, and but we've had like Baylor had a game canceled this week in the Big 12. You know, like it can hit these other Power 5 conference teams as well, and there's a very real possibility we get to the end of the season and like – Alabama maybe plays nine of their 10 games, right? Can I just and say like, that you obviously have Miami heat on the brain when you call the Oklahoma coach Pat Riley? That is awesome. <laughs> oh, I said Lincoln Riley. Yeah, um, I'm still mourning. Uh, no, but the, <laughs> um, the the deal I will say is that like there's no guarantee that any of these teams play their full schedule. So why is it a big deal if the Big Ten is only going to play their conference game schedule and play eight of them? Well, the big, the big deal would no... be if you miss two games or something like that, and now you really got sick, right? That would be the the deal because at least if i'm maryland right and i actually have this breakout year but then i get struck with covid and i end up missing two games is the college football playoff going to take me if i'm six and oh right i mean so that especially over that let's say we get the one loss sec team that i was talking about that ends up nine and one or something like that that might be the piece to consider no i i guess my thought is that we've seen the college football playoff take that into consideration and say it doesn't matter like they've already done that for my entire lifetime and said we'll take the one loss sec team whether it's the college football playoff or bcs or whatever it is so i think that they tend to lean on that anyway i don't know that it changes the situation for the cfp a whole lot i also think that that's why these things aren't done by computers it's done by a committee like i can watch six games and i can watch 10 games and i can start to pick apart the difference i i don't know i just think that the idea that like well they're going to play even less games because of covid is like well no one's finished the season with a crystal ball and knows that clemson plays all their games either like i no, i agree with that i mean the reality is is that we don't know <laughs> like one thing covid has taught us is that we have no control like we don't know what the heck's anything. going to go on anywhere right and so i do though believe that there's a tangible difference if you get a top tier team competing for the college football playoff and they do complete their schedule and you have another team that you're comparing them to that does 
does not complete their schedule. I do think that it's reasonable to look at those two teams and say, yeah, I understand that this team went 6-0, and but we don't know. Maybe they missed Michigan and Wisconsin, and now they're 6-0. and And now we got this other team that's saying they're 9-1, and played all their games, and it, they only lost, they got us a two-point loss to Alabama at Alabama. Like, I mean, right. this, and anyway, I, I'm creating, obviously, a scenario that everyone, I think, can look at and reasonably say, okay, well, I could kind of understand that. The reality is we don't know what the heck's going to happen. We hope that everyone plays their games. We hope that everyone is safe. We hope that everyone is healthy. And then we just have a football season where we could analyze based on the play. And the reality is we know there's going to be a lot of nuance to all these different situations. So we don't really know what's going to happen. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make bombs, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your bombs, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, so now it's time for our second thesis statement of the week. The thesis statement reads, Week 1 in the NFL showed that the Patriots will have a better season than the Buccaneers. I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth, and what do you say? Mm, I'm going to say like a B minus. I'm kind of waffling, but I know this is much more important to you because of an earlier thesis we did about the Buccaneers. So what do you grade this thesis? Because that's what I'm interested in. What do you think I'm grading this thesis? (laughs) This is an F. This is the biggest F ever. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, so you wrongly did not fail the thesis that week one in the NFL showed that the Patriots (laughs) will have a better season than the Buccaneers. So go ahead and be wrong, and then I'll come in and I'll fix things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess my thought really is that I'm not sure it's like anything I'm about to say as to why I think that the Patriots could have a better year than the Buccaneers does not have anything to do with week one. It certainly doesn't have a lot to do with week one. It's more like things I would have said going into week one as well. So I guess that's why I said a B minus and not higher. So that's pulling me down on one side. The other thing I see here is that like, much like we just talked about in college football, the truth is with this, you know, COVID season that is 2020, predictability is kind of out the window to me. <laughs> um, I'm much more of the analyze what happened and not look forward to what's going to happen because I can't predict what's going to happen. But I will say, I think that one big thing playing in the Patriots favor in this comparison is their division, right? Because even if you want to sit and talk about Josh Allen and the Bills, it is a much easier division as I see it. There is no match. Matt Ryan lurking on a you know team that could just upset you one week because they score a bunch of points. Um, there, there isn't a whole lot of that waiting for them. I also think that for whatever reason, you can argue with me differently as a defensive coordinator, but I think that the offense Newton's running 
because you're gonna you know the Patriots are gonna base their whole offense around what Newton could do just like the Bucks gonna base theirs around what Tom Brady can do I think that's much easier to pick up in this abbreviated offseason uh, the, the Patriots that is um, than it is to pick up what Tom Brady can do in an abbreviated offseason or at least what 42 of whatever year old Tom Brady can do yeah <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a different Tom Brady in the past that would have been he can do whatever you want him to do he's just not that guy anymore right so I, I guess those are several reasons I'm getting at but I, I gave it a B minus and not higher well I guess I gave it a B minus and not lower because who knows how you predict things in 2020 but I gave it a B not B minus and not higher because I would have said all those things before week one's game so I don't know what week one did to change me a whole lot and can I tell you that that's kind of where I'm at I don't know what week one did to really change the perspectives that you had coming in. So in other words, if I believe that Tampa's good, you know I believe Tampa's good. Them losing their first game to New Orleans, I'm pretty sure New Orleans was favored in the game. The game was at New Orleans, correct? So them losing that game, to me, doesn't really change anything, especially with Mike Evans being injured. They just signed their uh, their running back, Leonard Fournette, what, a week prior to the game. And I understand that Leonard Fournette is in a platoon. But I mean, there's so many pieces that when I look at that performance, I'm like, okay, some of that maybe I could even predict would have happened no preseason first game new team new system new terminology for your 42 year old quarterback and then if I look at what New England has and listen all those things apply to Cam Newton as well so we're not trying to pretend like I don't get the Cam Newton's the new quarterback there what I will say is exactly what you said which is the passing complexity is going to be a little more difficult I think to pick up than running complexity because running is a gap and so if I call the number of the back to the assigned hole all you got to know is whether you're the one back the two back the three back or the four back and then hit the hole right because the holes don't change the back numbers don't change now the blocking scheme for the offensive line if you want to tell me okay a center yeah that's going to be tougher because you're going to do a bunch of different complex blocking schemes but listen as someone who was the two back who went through the four hole quite a bit because we ran (laughs) 24 trap 24 dive because we were an option based team like i get it two back four hole gotcha coach the other piece as well to consider is again the level of competition so when there's no shame losing to new orleans new england's playing miami what do we think miami's gonna be i know that brian flores is a good coach i i've said it that i actually think that miami's probably gonna be better than people anticipated like, right I don't it think just won't can... happen it just won't happen this year yeah, like, well, like, it's definitely not gonna progress. happen in week one against new england right. like <laughs> if it's gonna happen right. right it'll happen throughout the year Tua doesn't even play in that game fitzy throws three uh turnovers like that's fitz magic right because he can throw three touchdowns this week and you want him on your fantasy team but just through three picks last week right so in a game where new england's favored by a touchdown new england did what they were supposed to do in a game where tampa's not favored tampa probably did closer to what they were supposed to do as well so i'm not i guess i'm not gonna jump to conclusions based on week one now if we revisit this thesis after week eight (laughs) maybe i'll have a different perspective but also after week eight there's nothing that says tampa won't be seven and one and new england won't be one and seven except that we believe that new england's not gonna be one and seven right like our gut tells us that Belichick is better than that. In the same way that my gut tells me Tom Brady and Bruce Aarons is better than week one. Like, my gut tells me that they're better than that as well. And so to see them, you know, Tom Brady throw two pick sixes, and I don't, I personally don't think that that's going to be what Tampa is. Well, so we're recording this on Sunday morning, mid-morning. So the games haven't happened yet. But like today they play Carolina. I assume they beat a rebuilding Carolina team. With a Next bad play- secondary too. But Chris Godwin's actually out of that game. So he's, he's going to yeah. have to deal with that piece. Next week they play Denver. I assume that Tom Brady can find a way to beat Denver. No Von Miller. It's going right, to be it's in Denver, but I, I still think they pulled that one out. The Chargers the week after that, right? Unless that's a t- Tyra- well, that's a tougher game because the Chargers the, 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 secondary is actually. 
pretty darn good, and we know that pass rush, they're going to get after Brady a little bit. The question yeah, is... I think the bigger thing to me is is how many points do you really have to score to win that game. Right? That's the deal, right? That's yeah. what I was going to say as well. Then they play Chicago and the Mitchell Trubisky experiment may be over by then. Who knows? Like, like they actually have a fairly you know friendly schedule outside of their division. They play the Raiders, they play your Giants, and then they come back and play New Orleans again in Week 9. So we could be talking about this all over again in Week 9, like you're saying, where they are very easily 7-1, and, and, and we're talking about it very differently. I just... I look at the Pat schedule and like they have, let me scroll this back. Uh, they have Seattle later today. So that's a tough one. But very then they have tough. the Raiders and the Chiefs. So they could very easily be two and two after week four. But then they play the Broncos, the Bills, the Jets. Like they play some pretty simple. Well, the teams. Bills, the Bills aren't simple. The Bills aren't simple. I, I'm worried about the Bills. This is not this thesis, but I'm worried about the Bills because I'm already seeing reports that they're asking Josh Allen to stop, to like start running out of bounds more. And that's not really his DNA. And I, so I don't know. Anyway, I, I'm like telling him to get down and run out of bounds. They better run like, more quarterback sweeps if they want to get out of bounds. Like, don't run right, quarterback that's what, power. Then. <laughs> like, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. It's not really how he's his running style is built, and they I know they don't want him throwing the ball. <laughs> and so I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they're trying to get at with that. But if they're already doing that, my mind goes to, oh crap, is he going to be more fragile than we realize? Because not everyone is Cam Newton, right? Nah, Cam Newton's had his injury history. Josh his Howard. early years, he was he was just running through dudes, and I don't know that Josh Allen's doing that. Yeah, except Josh Allen hasn't been hurt, so there's no reason to assume that he can't do that, right? I mean, no, I just you know Buffalo. Listen, I understand what Buffalo is doing, and this is not a Buffalo thesis, so I'll move on very quickly. But I understand what Buffalo is doing. You want to protect your investment, and the reality is, yeah, I mean, ideally, I would want you to get down. Like, I don't want you to just, I don't want the safety to tackle you after you gain 15 yards. Just slide. I get that. Like, that makes sense to me. So anyway, I guess I just say that the Buccaneers have an easier outside of division schedule than I think the Patriots do. As I look at these, I just think of the Patriots division as more friendly and you play those teams twice so we'll see you know i guess we'll see that again though with covid we could very easily get to you know the buccaneers get to week nine against the saints and drew Brees has covid and or like who knows right who knows what's going to happen by then i'd imagine that the saints do a pretty good job of trying to keep their guys healthy i don't mean that as disparagingly as it may have sounded but no one's rooting for drew Brees to get covid stay off of us saints twitter (laughs) i just i just don't i don't have any way to predict that or they could go in and play the Bears, but you know Mike Evans and Tom Brady have COVID, and they drop one of the Bears. Like I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what happens there, right? And once um, again, talk the plank pod. Don't be honest. We're not rooting for your guys to get COVID. We want them. To get <laughs> I'm rooting for Brady this year. Believe it or not. It's interesting. So I'm looking at the stats from the game, right? And Cam Newton goes 15 for 19, 155 yards, rushes 15 times, gets 75 yards. You know, it, when I was watching that game. It wasn't that anything that New England was doing, at least in my opinion, was so overly complex that defensive coordinators couldn't look at it and figure out a way to stop it because they're not Sony Michelle got 10 carries he was the next leading rusher in terms of attempts and when you're when you got an explosive quarterback who can Lamar Jackson gets 15 carries he has 150 yards I don't like 15 carries 75 yards in the NFL I think that's a that's a tougher thing to replicate week after week because you're going to be getting hit a ton which is frankly that's the deal with Josh Allen right that's why they want him to slide and go out of bounds because he's a 15 15 carry 75 yard guy as well when i look at brady's numbers and i know that brady didn't light up the world he's 23 for 36 239 two touchdowns the biggest thing is the two picks and the two pick sixes the other big thing is that he gets sacked three times right so the offensive line has to be better if you were to say to me hey shaka which one of these is likely to kind of pick up in a positive direction in three four weeks i think brady's passing is going to pick up and he'll be fine i am worried about a guy like cam newton who's had some injuries 
continuing this power running style as he gets older. Um, you know, Steve Young, I believe, was the guy who gets the most credit for saying this, but I know that someone said it to him. Which, uh, you see a lot of good young running quarterbacks. You don't ever see a lot of good old running quarterback. And so I worry about 15 carries, 75 yards, and the sustainability of that. Now, my deal is that the 15 of 19 seems like that's a real positive for Cam. If they can figure out the passing game piece and get him where he's passing for 250 yards a game and pretty decent completion percentage, now you don't need him to carry it 15 times. If he can carry it six seven you know get one of those down by the goal line it's just a sneak that sort of thing I, I would feel much more confident in the sustainability i do worry about durability with cam newton are you worried about that at all um it's not that i'm not worried about it it's that because he obviously he's not a 23 year old right out of college anymore and he's had his own injury history the last two seasons it's that if you look statistically at the games he was perfectly healthy for in the last two seasons he was actually if you look at like the beginning of 2018 season before he gets hurt um He really was kind of playing near that MVP level as far as his completion percentage, his balls downfield, aside from his his running. The the deal, I think, is that I trust a McDaniels and a Belichick to be smart with him because they understand the value of what he is to what they're doing. And I also think that that's a pretty pretty well-paired staff. They are smart enough to know what they're doing, whereas Carolina was kind of at this desperation point. And they're going to be running McCaffrey in the ground pretty soon, too. I mean, that's, that's kind of where Carolina is. Well, let me say this. Like, when you say to me that Josh McDaniel and Bill Belichick are pretty good at kind of understanding the value of assets, to me, that's actually disparaging because they do understand the value of assets. And if they decide that the value of Cam is as a running quarterback and we're just going to run him till he can't run anymore, then that to me doesn't signal that they're thinking about him in terms of his longevity and durability. Like, they're thinking, you know, this 15 calories a week, this is how we win. And if he's not healthy next season, we only sign him for one. Like, that's Bill Belichick as well. So... To me, I'm not, I'm not talking about next season either, though. I'm talking very literally about they know that they need to ride this horse for the duration of this season. And so while you're right, that may be bad for Cam's long term. But that I could mean, also I, be bad short term because of durability issues. Like if I guess if if Belichick and McDaniel go into it with the mindset of, hey, we need 15 carries a week from this guy and we're going to do this all year. There's nothing to say that week three, he doesn't go down because he gets hit. Because he's gotten, he's carrying the ball like a running back. The the piece with Carolina that you mentioned, where he was playing well, we do have to factor in that he had Christian McCaffrey, so he had a all world back to split the backfield with. That's what New England's missing. New England doesn't have that guy. And maybe Sony Michelle ends up being that, but New England just has a lot of backs, <laughs> right? Because it'll be Rex Burkhead. It'll be James White. It'll be all these guys who will just cycle through. And Cam's the consistent one. Cam's not coming out. It's a out. committee, yeah. So that's the piece that's maybe a little bit right. tougher in my mind. Yeah, I guess I also go to, though, that a committee, you know, as the Patriots run it, would also be more people split it with as opposed to just putting it with one other person. So I don't know that it necessarily good, like definitively leans it one way or the other to me. Again, I, I just think that they're a smart staff that's going to do a lot to win this season. And I understand what that you're pointing out that that may not be good for Cam for next season and beyond, but that doesn't mean that they don't play it. We're talking about this season, right? I also think that their defenses are closer if we're comparing the Bucks and Patriots again. Their defenses are closer in comparison than people realize. The Bucks kind of get a bad rap because they were on the field so much last year with Jameis's 30 turnovers, right? But both teams, if you look at a per however many snap basis, do are very, very strong defenses. And neither quarterback, if the defenses play to that level that they did a year ago, will have to put up as many points as, say, Deshaun Watson might 
or as many points as you know as some other guys that have defenses that have holes and secondaries and things like that but i don't know that that is something that changed again i'm back to on the thesis that's not something that like week one altered in my mind i don't know why why week one would have changed that to me Okay, Mr. Cummings, our last thesis this week has to do with some threads. Looking at all across sports, the thesis reads, the Lakers gold uniforms are the most iconic uniform in all of sport. What do you say to that? There's some A, there's some F, so it's going to be a C. I'm going to talk about some awesome jerseys, though, so I'm kind of excited about this segment. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, what do you shake out? I say like an A-. minus. Um, oh, wow. Okay. I think I think my issues are more with the thesis being written than anything else. But yeah, I'm, re- I'm excited to talk about some threads, so... Okay, Mr. Cummings, you sat at a C because you were bouncing back and forth between an A and an F, which leads to an internal struggle I'm eager to hear about. What were you thinking? Yes, internal strife. That is Mr. Cummings in a nutshell. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, uh, when I think basketball, I think actually two jerseys come to mind. If you say to me iconic, I think the Lakers gold and I think Celtics green, like those two jerseys for me stand out as basketball. And what happens is that when I go to every sport, there's a jersey like that that will stand out for me. And I mean, even sports beyond kind of the traditional ones that are most popular in North America, right? So for instance, if you say to me soccer, Like, I think of Man United. I think of red and white. Now, I'm not saying that everyone does because I know that not everyone's going to think Premier League first. But that's what I think of, right? If you want to go international soccer, I think of Brazil and those yellow jerseys, right? So there's, there's some of these other sports. Baseball. I grew up in New York City. So you say baseball in iconic jersey, I think pinstripes. I think New York Yankee, right? I think no sideburns. I think no names on the back of the jersey. Like, that's what comes to mind. If you say to me, uh, football, my mind actually goes to college football first. And I think of winged helmets for the University of Michigan. I think Golden Domes and Notre Dame. I think of Army and Navy and Air Force and the tradition that comes with those uniforms representing our Armed Forces Academies. So for me, I do think... Lakers jersey is iconic when I think basketball but when we say all of sport then there are some other jerseys that are on the same level and so it's hard for me to say most iconic if they're all on the same level now what I will say that the Lakers jersey has that not a lot of other folks have and this is what helps it to stand out in my mind is that the Lakers never wear white, right? I mean, when they wear white, it's like a special occasion third alternate. And we're so used to home teams in white, road teams and a color. But the Lakers wear gold as their home color. And for me, that was always interesting. It's much like, well, I was going to say, it's much like the Cowboys. And the fact, the Cowboys always wear white because they're America's so team, right? that's, the interesting thing about the Lakers to me is, is that I remember, and people watching only, only watch basketball the last couple of years because Nike kind of bucked this. But I remember vividly being like, well, why is this team not wearing white at home? Like as like a little kid, right? Like every <laughs> basketball team wears white at home. Why aren't they wearing white at home? Oh my gosh, Shaquille O'Neal's a giant. Like that was like, honestly, the thought process I had, I remember, as a child. The other, the thing I think that helps the Lakers out in this a lot is what you're what you're talking about here with the Lakers being the only team for so long that wore a colored jersey at home. The Laker yellow was contrasting enough to all the dark uniforms in the NBA that could wear it at home, as opposed to everyone else wearing white in the NBA for so long. It's also a jersey that has 11 numbers retired with it, and I understand two of those are the same guy, but they've had some iconic, iconic people wearing that jersey. Yeah, absolutely. And those 11 retired numbers don't include two that are on the squad right now. Right. And so that number is only going up. I, I just think of it when I think of 
basketball jerseys. I also think there's part of this too that like because of their influence in the 80s and the Magic Showtime Lakers, so much of the Laker nation is not just LA as annoying as I think that is, right? And so, so much of Laker Nation has never even set foot in Los Angeles, but you see the yellow jerseys all over America. You see the Laker yellow LeBron jerseys sell out in seconds, much like, not quite in the same reasoning, but much like we talked about the Kaepernick one and our Gold Stars and Detentions. I only gave it a low A versus a high A because of the other sports. And there are some people that are just going, like, I understand that I'm a basketball guy. I like basketball a lot. And I understand that, like, I also am a football guy that played football and appreciate football. Um, you're more of a baseball person, right, than I am. And so you go to Yankees and Pinstripes. I did, like you say, go to, in a similar vein, Dallas wearing white at home. Um, I actually, and this is sad because I'm more of a, you know, a Texas guy than an LA guy, but I would, I think, give the Lakers the nod because the fact that Dallas wears two different blues and two different grays and like you know as i sit here looking at my research on this and i have a picture of tony romo the blue on his jersey doesn't match the blue on the helmet and that that's never fun for me i I, i'm (laughs) persnickety about that kind of stuff um and so jerry needs to fix that i think but they then wearing white at home does strike a similar chord because in football it's the opposite it's teams wear their color jersey at home and you wear your white on the road for the most part right and so that they're bucking the trend in that way also makes them iconic they also have a slew of numbers retired in it because they have you know back to the 70s and 80s and they have more recently with Emmett Smith and so they and Troy Aikman and those guys and so they they have their own legacy with the jersey itself I want to bring up one football jersey you didn't bring up that may not have quite as many retired numbers to it but is an iconic jersey and that is the powder blue San Diego Chargers jersey. <laughs> so for me, there's a difference between iconic and just awesome. Like for me, the powder blue jersey that the Chargers wore in San Diego and now they'll wear a variant of it in LA. That's just like the best jersey maybe in all of sport. But I don't know that it's necessarily <laughs> iconic. It's not like the Chargers have won wearing right. those jerseys. And so for me... All of the teams that I mentioned are teams that I think are historically considered winners, with the maybe the exception of some of the Armed Forces Academies. But keep in mind, Army and Navy, while they don't win now, definitely have their day in the sun. Go look up stats from the 30s and 40s and 50s. So, um, so yeah, that's that's the piece. Because I, I think there are a lot of cool jerseys. Like, if I mean, we can talk about North Carolina and the plaid and the carolina blue like they actually win but what i i that kind of fell into the awesome category for me versus the iconic um so you just said though where i was going next you said carolina blue and that when i think basketball it's college basketball right um and i know you're a uk guy and so you may think that that's an ugly shade of blue but carolina blue with the the argot on the side like i i really really think that that also sticks out as an iconic basketball jersey because again so many greats have worn carolina blue and white Obviously, you could go to Kentucky as well with their blue and white, um, but so, Carolina blue is very unique to them as opposed to, like, lots of teams wear royal blue, right? No, I'll buy that. I'll buy that Carolina probably is more iconic than awesome. What I will say about Kentucky is that even as a Kentucky fan, the the color blue in the state of Kentucky is definitely iconic. Like, everything is blue. We think blue. We see blue. Big blue nation, right? It's We get it. I actually don't think of the jersey, per se, as iconic because there's been so many different jerseys over the years. So, like, the script Kentucky was you know back to Adolf Rupp versus the more block Kentucky now but can I tell you that the most awesome Kentucky jerseys the ones that don't get enough credit Kentucky basketball I believe it was the 94-95 it could have been 95-96 so I should have researched this so I would have had the right year but they were signed to Converse 
and Rick Pitino was the head coach. And they actually wore denim jerseys. Their home and road jerseys, the blue was denim. And I just remember thinking, okay, people are either going to really love this or really hate it, and I think it's awesome. But I don't know how everyone in Kentucky kind of feels about those uh, jerseys. I just remember them being signed to Converse. I remember them wearing, because this was back when Converse came out with the updated version of the Chuck Taylors, and everyone was wearing those, so Kentucky wore those. Oh, man, I loved those jerseys. So I think of those as awesome, even though I don't think of Kentucky's. I think of the color is iconic in the state, but I don't think of the jersey is iconic nationally. Some of the ones we had mentioned, it's worth pointing out, like the Cheeseheads in Green Bay. That's fun, right? Absolutely. Um, it's not really a uniform, but Tiger wearing red on Sunday is pretty iconic. Absolutely. 49ers, Golden Domers, another football one. I guess they don't quite have the success, but the Seattle Sonics with the arch, that's fun. Yeah, they did have an awesome jersey. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but I like the Astro Stripes. So anyway, I actually like the old school Astros. That's what I'm saying. The old, old Astro stripes. Like the, yeah, but I don't think a lot of people do. I think that we're, you think, I think we're in the minority there. I think most people think that the old Cosmo kind of Astro jerseys are stupid, but I kind of like them. I don't know. Interesting. Anyway, so that's where I go with all those things. But again, I I think when you factor in things like how many great players wore it, when you factor in how it bucked the system and trend by wearing, you know, changing a color at home, you know, I, I think that there's just a lot to it. I also think it's worth pointing out that there aren't a whole lot of, professional franchises wearing purple and yellow and i wonder if they just don't want to do not want to tread on laker territory there like that like that seems to be there's a lot of teams that we talked about that wear like royal blue and white there's a lot of teams that wear like some version of red and white there's not a whole lot of teams putting purple and gold together in the pros and that's i think worth noting no um the vikings have purple yellow and white in their jersey right and i'm trying to think of other teams that wear purple so like i know that utah kind of has a purple there's some yellow in there too but i don't think that i don't know utah's i don't know what they would say their color scheme officially is i know that the kings but the kings have a whole lot of different color variants purple is considered a color of royalty so obviously they have a lot of purple in their jersey but they also have these old blue jerseys from their monarchs days which is it's just they got a lot of jerseys i'm trying to think of how many schools like wear purple we we obviously when we were together in texas came from an area where purple was big now fort worth has tcu and texas christian university purple is an iconic color there the same way that blue is an iconic color here in Lexington, the same way that red is an iconic color in Houston. Like the, my niece went to University of Houston, and the president, it was wear red every Friday. And if the president was walking around campus so a student not wearing red, she'd call him out on it. Like, could you imagine if that's the way you meet the president of your university is that you decided that you wanted to wear your blue shirt today? Like, that, that's crazy. But, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. Purple isn't necessarily one that jumps well, top of mind, per se. Like I was thinking of the combination of purple and yellow because, like, the Minnesota Vikings that you're talking about, really, it's like purple and white with a little bit of yellow. Or the Jazz, it's purple and white with a little bit of yellow. Like, the dominance of the yellow with the purple is, I guess, what I was more alluding to. But. Yeah, no, the Lakers are definitely – they embrace the gold, right? Like, they embrace that i mean they don't call it yellow right they call it gold because they're referencing championships and those sorts of things yeah so i get kind of embracing that and i do think that wasn't the gold was something that they didn't want to leave out because wasn't that a part of the minneapolis lakers color scheme am i making that up so i know that the minneapolis lakers had blue and not purple i do think they had something about gold in there as well but i think it's interesting to point out that like they they've gone to the like the kobe jersey is black and yellow or black and gold i guess i should say right they did they dropped the purple for black they don't drop the gold for black anyway yeah that's the black mamba jerseys which are awesome those i mean again the difference between awesome and iconic even with the lakers right the when they wear white i think it's awesome i know that there's a lot of old school laker fans that don't like it the black mamba variant awesome the the gold though is just iconic right i did like the 
in the Kobe era of the Lakers when they would wear white on Sundays, kind of a nod to the, you know, Catholic Latino population right there in Los Angeles that's very dominant. Like white on Sundays was a very intentional Lakers thing that in the, you know, in the new Nike deal where they're wearing whatever color they want, they don't quite get to as often. But I really, that was a cool, cool alternate tradition they had for a brief stint there. Okay. And we'll get wrap up this segment with this. I can't believe that you're going to get on the Cowboys for like different color of blue. So like just the blues <laughs> go together. They don't have to match. Like my wife and I were having this conversation. <laughs> yes. Like you have to be monochromatic. Like you could, if you're monochromatic, you better wear something that pops out a little bit. Like I'm just telling you this week I had this fit. It was all black and I rocked my camo. Oh, it was awesome. But unless you're doing that, right, go together. It doesn't have to match perfectly. You can just go together. Go Cowboys. Just for that, though, because they <laughs> suck otherwise. <laughs> Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. I love the jersey talk. Like, I'm thinking now about the teams that I've coached on and the teams that have the best jersey that I've coached on or been a part of or even, like, in high school. And I'm like, man, I've been a part of some teams that have had some awesome looks. Um, Hey, Parker, talk to us a little bit about your socials and we can maybe ask you about some of the looks that you've seen (laughs) as you've been a coach. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Painsworth512. That's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512. All one word on Twitter and Instagram. I'll also respond to the show's Twitter. uh, It's at FNSports2, F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, the number two all one word. I'll use dash PA. Shock will use dash CC. And we can compare, I don't know, I compare the Rockets weird pajama style pinstripe from the 90s if you want to. What do you, uh, what do you, what do you got, Shock? Where you at? Um, uh, we have an Instagram as well at F underscore in underscore sports. I hated those Rockets jerseys. I don't know why. <laughs> I also hate the Rockets jerseys with the sleeves. Like I don't like sleeved basketball jerseys. Uh, my personal, <laughs> my personal Instagram and Twitter are both at Shaka Cummings at C H A K A C U M M I N G S. Friends, thank you guys for listening. Please remember to go out, like, subscribe, share, do all the wonderful things to help out the podcast. And after you go buy a bunch of different jerseys because you just listened to this podcast, please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.